The FDA actually doesn't require tampon manufacturers to disclose their ingredients. So something's going inside you. It's getting absorbed. Any of the ingredients, chemicals, et cetera, are getting transferred straight into your bloodstream. And the government's telling you, you as a customer don't have the right to know what's in this product. This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. By integrating experts with real-world anecdotes, Bedside is here to give you insight into the contemporary sex ed we've been waiting for. Today's guest, Mika Hollander, is co-founder of Sustained Naturals, a sexual wellness brand that produces vagina-friendly natural products. Mika is a wellness superstar, having co-founded the brand with her dad, Jeffrey Hollander, who you may already know for his widely recognized clean household brand, Seventh Generation. Aside from pioneering a movement of ingredient transparency for feminine hygiene, Mika has been listed as Forbes 30 Under 30 and is the author of Get On Top, a resource for women on pleasure, sexuality, and understanding what's really going on down there. She's passionate about non-toxic, organic, and sustainable sexual health for everyone, and on a mission to give people the tools to take control of their bodies. During our conversation, we unpack the story of how Mika and her dad got the idea for Sustain, her ruthless mission toward ingredient transparency, and how our bodies have the power to give us the most important information and signals for our sexual well-being. This interview gives insight into one of the most exciting spaces that sex wellness has entered, with women running the narrative for what has been historically male-centric. There are many interviews with founders like this to come, so stay tuned. But for now, hang tight and hear what the incredible Mika Hollander has to say about the empire that she's building. Mika, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. What a kind introduction. (laughs) So you have been changing the lives of so many women just so intimately, and I'm excited to get the opportunity to chat with you and just, I kind of want you to kick things off and start by telling your story. Just how did you get started in this space? What led you to where you are and kind of what your current role looks like at Sustain today? I got started in some ways it was like one big sort of kind of coincidence because as you mentioned I started the company with my dad because my dream growing up was to start a condom company with my father and so I think everybody can sort of relate to that and yep (laughs) you know my dream came true (laughs) but yeah I mean in a lot of ways like The apple didn't fall far from the tree. My family's been in the natural products industry for over 30 years with seventh generation and now with Sustain. It was, you know, one of those things where I actually looked at my dad my entire life growing up and I was like, wow, running a business and building a company looks really bad. (laughs) I don't want to do that. (laughs) And uh, here I am. 
But on the other hand, you know, I got sort of this front row view into building what I'll call, you know, an activist organization, um, an activist business. And after being in the world and working at different companies and being in business school, I realized that not all organizations are run as sort of these activist businesses set out to like change the world in really positive ways. So I was graduating from business school and my dad, Jeffrey, had left seventh generation and we were both sort of like sitting thinking like, what are we going to do with ourselves? And he was obviously super experienced, very successful. I was just trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do, what I was going to do, what I was good at doing. Still probably trying to answer that. And we were like toying with this idea that he'd had probably about 20 years prior to create a sustainable condom company. And I was, you know, laying by the pool that summer in between my first and second year of business school and he put down this deck that was titled Rainforest Rubbers. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and he's like, I wrote this business plan. Can you look at it? Like, I want to get your feedback. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I read through it, and I thought it was really interesting. I didn't know anything about the latex condom industry, definitely not from a sustainability perspective. And so I started to research the category, just condoms in general. I love finding sort of opportunities within either existing categories or new categories. And I learned that 40% of condoms are purchased by women. I was surprised by that in some ways. And in some ways I wasn't. But from a business opportunity standpoint, I was like, wow, that's a lot of condoms being purchased by women. When I looked at the brands on the market, I was like, they're not even acknowledging women as customers. This is really interesting. And so I kept sort of digging on that. And we actually ended up doing some research around how women feel when they are purchasing condoms, ashamed, embarrassed, uncomfortable. And in addition to that, 21% of single sexually active women at the time were using condoms regularly. Teen pregnancy is higher in this country than any other developed country. There just seemed like something big to do about all of this. And so it, it became really this like hybrid of sustainable products and sustainable condoms and rainforest rubbers, which we had to sadly let go of in terms of the name for the business. And this opportunity to sort of, at that time, redefine condom culture and, and reinvent it from a female perspective. Ultimately, the narrative that I, in the beginning, was really like, stuck on that clarified everything about what we were doing was, you know, men who buy condoms are heroes and women who do the same are sluts. And how are we going to change that narrative? And how are we going to change how women feel when they buy and carry condoms? So long story short, we decided to start Sustain, a condom company that's the most sustainable condom company in the world, but that is really on a mission to sort of redefine the narrative around female sexuality. That is such a prime example of just looking at where there are so many gaps that I think we walk through life and aren't even that aware of. The fact that women have been for decades so comfortable just buying condoms in shame. And it's not unexpected. I learned very quickly why has this category been so neglected? Why does nobody know that 40% of condoms are purchased by women? Why are women being treated like they're doing something wrong by purchasing these products. 
And nobody wants, you know, we have a really sexually repressed society in the U.S. In some ways, women are hypersexualized in the media and in porn and in other realms. But then when it comes down to just young women, older women who are sexually active in the day-to-day, we shame them for that. We shame casual sex. And when you create this culture of shame and stigma around something so critical and essential and real as sex, you end up with these statistics. I kind of am curious about what your dialogue of sex was like when you were growing up and kind of what coming of age was like. What were those messages that you got at home and in school? That's a really good question. I've actually been thinking a lot about sex ed in this country in particular over the last year or so. Um, And a lot of that has been reflecting on sort of my experience. I think for me, I come into contact with a lot of people in this sort of sex tech, sex space. And it's like, oh, I was the girl in high school handing out condoms. And I was like leading this program. And it's funny, I wasn't that person. But what I did have was a really open dialogue around a whole host of different issues, experiences with my family and my parents specifically. And I just remember my dad always, if I was dating someone or going to a party or he really treated me like a friend almost. Obviously there were rules and they were like, we couldn't do whatever we wanted. But if I was dating someone or liked someone, it was like, why do you like them? Like, do you feel good around them? Do they make you feel good about yourself? just a little bit deeper level beyond this sort of like, I'm your parent, you're the child. And so when it came time to lose my virginity, um, (laughs) when it came, you know, when I turned that age, when I was thinking about having sex for the first time, my parents had both said to me many times prior to that, you know, always feel like you can come to us, no judgment. And that's great. And I knew that even if they said that and felt that, it would still be a hard conversation for them and for me because it's interesting. It's a very, like, important transition into I don't even know what, but it's a tough conversation. But I, because they had sort of mentioned that over and over again, I was comfortable talking to them about it. And God, I can't imagine going through that and not feeling like I had people, someone to talk to other than friends who were all trying to figure it out together, still trying to figure it out. So it was cool, and I we didn't have a lot of sex ed. We had some growing up in Vermont where I went to school, but it was just that idea that whether it was trying drugs for the first time or having sex for the first time, that I could go to my dad or my both my parents and feel like I could just be honest and be scared almost, right? Sometimes right. firsts are scary, And so that, I think, was just really important. And I hope I can do the same for my eventual children. Yeah, absolutely. And even if it's not your parents, just finding trusted people. I usually advise kind of like an adult kind of uh, presence that you can just talk to and openly about those things. I'm similar to you. I was really lucky to just have parents that there was kind of an understanding that if I ever needed to talk about anything that they were there, which is so important, so important and lucky. Yeah. And lucky and lucky. I'm so excited to just like dive into this brand. So I'm going to go ahead and read one of your quotes. I loved your book, by the way. Ah, No, it was so great. What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) 
It's part of your intro, and I think it tells your mission in a really wonderful way. Women, especially 18 to 30 age range, but older and younger too, are suffering from misinformation, fear, intimidation. They're suffering from vaginal dryness or are too anxious to talk to their parents or can't understand why sex hurts. They're worried about side effects of birth control, confused by pimples on their vulvas, and don't know what, if any, soap to use to wash themselves. They're confused about consent, sexuality, odors, and cheating. They want answers about chlamydia, masturbation, pregnancy scares, and what it means to be a slut. They really want to know why, if they can orgasm with a vibrator, how come it's not happening with oral or penetration. They really, really need answers from someone they trust, from a partner. I want to be that partner. I love that quote. I do like that quote. I hadn't read that section in a while. Thank you for sharing that again. Yes, so... With Sustain, you've really tapped into a pain point, which I know we've kind of touched on a bit, but why do you think women are so ashamed and misinformed about their bodies? <sighs> oh, such a... Sigh. Such, well, <laughs> Everyone because, take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, everybody... <laughs> women have been told, and it's not just told through conversation. It's through the media, through history, through the news... We're second-class citizens, and so our sort of pleasure and our sexuality is secondary. And I think, ultimately, in order to achieve equality, we have to achieve sexual equality. I like to use this example of, I watched this video a few years ago of how they talked about or did, like, sex education mother to daughter in the 1950s. And it was, you know, you're going to get married. You're going to have to have sex. You're going to probably have to do it once a month or once a week. And then you're going to have to get pregnant. And it was this burden and this service that you're doing for your husband, for somebody else. And so just that is sort of like a microcosm of what's going on because I think there's so many different avenues to talk about when you talk about where does this underlying shame come from. I think this idea that for women, sex is a service, and for men, sex is sort of pleasurable and enjoyable and something that they need, but women don't, creates all of this misinformation and all of these problems. I think misinformation around sexuality, sexual health, all of this stuff is because sex is generally pushed under the rug. Advertisers don't want to deal with it. Parents don't want to deal with it. The government doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> Even people in relationships don't want to deal. I mean, it's this like looming. I was on a panel um, with that wedding registry company, Zola, a few weeks ago. And it was all about talking about sex and the absence sometimes of sex leading into getting married and after and how to deal with that. And it's like sex is a lot. Sex is emotional. It's physical. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. It's exciting. It's like every adjective I feel like you can apply to sex. Absolutely. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've been there. So what we've done with sex since the beginning of time in some ways is put it in this little black box, thrown it to the side, and nobody's really wanting to talk about it or deal with it. And so what happens with any subject? It's the same thing with, you know, marijuana. All of these problems start coming about because 
oh, well, nobody's really dealing with it, so I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to start talking about this. I'm going to start talking about purity rings. I'm going to start talking about, I'm going to do porn. Like, everything becomes sort of this, like, under-the-radar world of different pieces of how we're talking about sex. And now there's the Internet, and everybody goes on the Internet to find information. And yet Google who is, in my opinion, sort of like the master of information, right? They're sort of deciding what gets to go forward, what gets to advertise, what gets to, like, show right. up in front of people. They're curating. And they're not even themselves, I would say, like, the most sex positive in terms of their policies. So I think all of this to say there's been a lot of, I don't want to deal with this issue. I always actually say in the beginning when I started Sustain, I felt like a drug dealer because people actually treated me like I was encouraging bad behavior. You got condoms? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, she's encouraging casual sex. Oh, <laughs> like uncomfortable or like you're doing something wrong. I actually think that's changed a lot in some ways. There's still a lot more work to do. But I think what we're seeing now with the 2016 election and sort of the blossoming and sort of incredible force of the Me Too movement and different types of candidates coming forward and actually getting into office. Women, I think, are frustrated. I actually feel like there's this sense of desperation for education and content and pleasure and equality around everything regarding sort of sexuality. And so I feel very optimistic about where we're headed because I think in some ways, yeah, there's a lot of bad shit happening and who knows what's going to happen in 2020. I don't know. But yes, that's important. And yes, you can go on a whole different show about like the Supreme Court and the implications of that. But something really powerful has happened over the last few years. Women have found their voice and women are demanding sexual equality, whether it's around consent whether it's around sexual assault, sexual harassment, whether it's just around closing the orgasm gap. So I do feel optimistic, but I think it's unraveling and untraining decades and generations of misinformation and shame, which is going to take time. I would love to just dive into the products that you guys make because it's not just condoms and kind of the intent behind that. Just... One anecdote that I like to share because I think it just really captures everything that we're doing and why we're doing it from a product standpoint. In Europe, still, if you're in the hospital or you're at the doctor and they want medication to act really quickly, they'll insert it vaginally or anally sometimes. Why? Because anything that gets inserted vaginally gets absorbed and it goes straight into your bloodstream. It bypasses your liver. So it doesn't get processed. When you think about that, and then you think about the products that are going inside of your vagina. How can we not be extremely careful and informed and cautious about what's in those products? Especially when you're thinking about something like tampons. Women who use tampons are using up to 15,000 in their lifetime. It's sitting inside of you if you just like tick all the time off and sort of combine it for about six years of your life, you have this product inside of you. And then guess what? The FDA actually doesn't require tampon manufacturers to disclose their ingredients. So something's going inside you. It's getting absorbed. Any of the ingredients, chemicals, et cetera, are getting transferred straight into your bloodstream. 
And the government telling you, you as a customer don't have the right to know what's in this product. What we do at Sustain is a bunch of different things, as I've sort of talked about, but we believe in radical transparency and we believe in a consumer's right to know what's going in their body. So with starting with condoms and obviously into organic lubricants and now period products like tampons and pads, menstrual cups more recently, we, part one, only use ingredients that have been proven to be safe. There's actually, to this day, not one long-term study looking at the ingredients found in conventional tampons on women's bodies over the long term. So we only use one ingredient, for example, 100% organic cotton. We use ingredients that have proven to be safe, and we disclose every single ingredient in every single one of our products. And if you have a question about it, we'll provide answers. The problem is that the industry, condoms actually and tampons, aren't accountable and don't have to disclose their ingredients. So without access to that information... How are you supposed to make decisions about what's going inside your body from an informed standpoint? You say, even if consumers can't know what the exact mix is, we do know that typical fragrance chemicals have been linked in studies to everything from hormone disruption to asthma to skin to irritation to cancer. So when you see fragrance listed on a soap or body wash or vaginal wipes or a candle you use to set the mood, mentally translate that as hidden, possibly toxic ingredients. So fragrance is a code word. It can stand for a whole host, hundreds of different ingredients. And that's scary for my perspective. And I don't think that's fair or responsible, both in terms of the FDA regulating that they're allowed to just smack fragrance on the label. And from a company standpoint, it's, you know, you're saying and acting like you're being transparent about your ingredients. But again, it could mean so many different things. We actually just signed yesterday onto a bill in California that's trying to not allow any products to list fragrance as an ingredient. They have to be specific. Amazing. So it's changing, but I do advise if you're using a product, especially your vaginal ecosystem is so unique and delicate in some ways. Don't use things that you don't know what they are because then if you have a problem, if you have odor that's abnormal or you have itching or burning or something that's out of the norm – And you can't go to the doctor and say, well, here's what's in my product. Could that be irritating me? I just think it's not fair to customers to not have access to that information. Do you, like, have advice for people who are navigating products? Like, what would I do if I go to the store and I just am trying to understand, like, at a very basic level, like, what are in my tampons? So I think first and foremost, you know, always – read the back of the package, look for brands just first that are disclosing their ingredients. It's challenging because sometimes it's hard to know if it's partial disclosure or full disclosure. And then there's really great tools like different types of apps. One's called Think Dirty. One's called the Environmental Working Group has an incredible database where if you don't know about an ingredient, you can actually type it in and they'll say, is it totally safe? Is there moderate risk? Is there a high chance of it being connected to something? Should you not be using it in that part of your body? There's a lot of resources out there. And I also think it's never been more safe, clean products available. I mean, my family's been in this category, natural products, for 30 years. People thought it was just total bullshit, hippie, whatever. And now it's the fastest growing sector of the consumer packaged goods industry. So there's so many options. 
there's coconut oil-based lubricant, there's water-based, there's aloe. Like, you can figure out within sort of what I consider to be safe ingredients, clean ingredients, what's best for you. And I don't think there's ever been a time like this where there's so many options. Tampons specifically, it is, in my opinion, pretty straightforward. You want to be using 100% organic cotton. It's really important that it's organic from my perspective versus just traditional cotton. I think a lot of people see 100% cotton. That's like cotton, my shirt, my pants, like everything's cotton. That's soft. That's safe. That's Cotton is one of the dirtiest crops. Cotton is usually treated with glyphosate. You can look that up. Not a friendly pesticide. And, you know, there's inconclusive studies on our trace amounts of glyphosate ending up in tampons. And glyphosate's a carcinogen. So, you know, it's tricky because I have sort of strong perspectives on what you should and shouldn't be using. But at the end of the day, you can use whatever you want. I just want consumers to feel like they can demand the right to know what's in their products and what they're making educated decisions. I know you guys recently came out with a sustained period cup. We did. Yay. So for those who don't know, what is a period cup? So period cups are very similar to menstrual cups. If you're familiar with that term, it's a reusable medical grade silicone cup the size of a shot glass that has a stem and it's reusable. So it's kind of incredible because actually you can use it for up to three years. It replaces on average 720 tampons. And it's this soft, body-safe, medical-grade silicone, and you sort of fold it up. You, like, fold it in half, and then you can fold it a little bit again, and you just get it up there. And then when it gets to the right place, it opens, and then it collects your menstrual fluid. I would always say, like, in the beginning, you can try having it in for two hours or three hours or four hours just to understand, like, how much menstrual fluid am I producing? How often should I be changing it? Most people don't need to change it more than every six hours on average, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit less. And then you take it out and you dump the fluid. And then ours actually comes with this microwavable case that disinfects it. So you just pop it in the case, pour some water in there, throw it in the microwave for five minutes, and it's totally disinfected. I loved that. I saw that you had a case. And And then you just fold it, pop it in, and do it all over again. (laughs) And I will say... I have been surprised by how quickly people convert to it once they try it. And I actually think it goes back to what we were talking about, just like being comfortable with your body. I think menstrual cups have been around for probably almost two decades, if not longer. And there was a resistance towards them for a really long time. And I know that because I was never like down to really get in there with one. And I think women have gotten more comfortable with their bodies, whether they're like trying a new bikini wax style or like a new product or like a new vibrator. Like there's just this increasing comfort and familiarity with our bodies. And so, of course, it's not surprising then menstrual cups, our period cup is becoming more popular and more people are sort of looking for that type of option. And it's really important to also know that these are medical devices. They're going inside your body. They're collecting menstrual fluid. I think there has been a ton of options flooding. And I think that's amazing. I mean, I saw this company the other day that was also doing like condoms marketed towards women in another country. And I was just like, this is great. Like, this is exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted to create awareness. We wanted to start a conversation. All ships rise with a rising tide. Like applaud applaud your sisters who are alongside you trying to start and change these conversations. With that being said, because these are medical devices, I think it's also important 
to do your homework. Make sure you're buying these types of products from companies that are operating responsibly and taking real control on quality and regulatory in terms of their business and their products because they're going inside of your body. Yeah, absolutely. Which is so important. Like I'm sure that they're probably like weird cups you could probably buy on like weird Alibaba. Like, Alibaba. <laughs> <laughs> Alibaba's got a lot of options. I don't know. It's so funny. Whenever I'm like looking for something random, it's like Alibaba has it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what is like, Alibaba? Yeah. I'm like, is it going to get here in like three years? <laughs> in Mika's book, she delves into the importance of our bodies as our greatest house of information, how they constantly relay crucial signals to us and how we can better listen. I ask Mika to explain the intuition of our bodies and her own process of learning to lean in. From starting this business, it's been a pretty powerful exploration of my own self and my own body and what feels good and normal and healthy and what doesn't and what can sort of impact that. I think a woman's intuition is a really powerful thing. And I think that I've had plenty of experiences in my life with my body where I wrote something off as just, oh, it's just like, it's just bothering me. It's fine. It'll get better. This is normal or whatever. I've had people really close to me suffer from depression for years and no one connected the dots between the pill and that could be a factor in causing that. I always say this thing, and, and and it's not true for all doctors, and there's so many incredible OBGYNs, so I'm not, like, making a broad statement, but I've had many personal experiences where I felt just as a young woman going into the gynecologist that because I wasn't planning to get pregnant or pregnant, there wasn't enough attention or time for me. Like, there's all these other women sitting in the waiting room. They're, like, super pregnant, and it's, like, th- that's the priority, Right. And so that's challenging. And I didn't notice for years, like there have been things that I've been going through. And again, like other people I know have gone through and they just didn't get attention or people weren't asking the right questions. And that's really scary and challenging. So I think it is important. You have to be your own advocate. Mm -hmm. I just recently went through something else with a close friend where it was like, you know, she said like, thank God you're doing the work that you're doing because I just went through this and I was sort of like pushed aside it's fine, it's fine, it's normal, don't worry about it, go home, wait a few weeks, da 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 Something was really wrong. And she knew and she could feel that within like her reproductive system. And it's just, it's so important and you have to really take it on yourself because nobody's going to advocate for you. No one is. Except for me, I'll advocate for you. <laughs> I can't just do it all Everyone the time just- for everybody, but <laughs> I'm trying to do it all the time for everybody. <laughs> this kind of segues into another topic, but I'm curious if you think that the digital world is helping or disrupts kind of the way we have healthy sex? If I have to choose one side, I lean disruptive. I'm like this like oddly optimistic. I look at everything and like, is it a net positive? And what I mean by that is like, at the end of the day, will we end up in a more liberated, healthy, you know, empowered place sexually because of digital technology? I don't know yet. I think maybe, and I think we're going to end up there anyway, so let's try and just figure out how to make it a positive thing. But there's a ton of downsides to it. I think just in terms of intimacy, we're in the sort of sex recession generation. Millennials are not having as much sex as the generations before them. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think there's a lot of 
burnout and all this other stuff going on and people are sort of motivated to work really hard and prioritize their career over having kids or relationships. And I think that's fine in some ways. And then I think on the other hand, we're on our screens all the time. Like we're getting this mental stimulation from technology versus real human intimacy. And I think we need to be really careful about that and careful about not having our phones. I think there's like some crazy statistic that like 30% of people check their phones during sex. No way. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> but so I, I think it's da- it's slippery, right? Yeah. You're accessing information, education, technology, telemedicine, and those are all things that can help you have healthy, amazing, fulfilling sex. But then people are just like also super disconnected and don't look at each other in the eye anymore. What does sexual wellness mean to you? Sexual wellness is everything around healthy, pleasurable, safe sex and the products that go along with that. I think sexual wellness is like mental health, physical health, gut health, or at least that's for me. <laughs> the and microbiome. Like sexual health. And sexual wellness is a sexier way of saying sexual health in some ways. But sexual wellness incorporates both sexual health but also pleasure. What does your sexual wellness routine look like? My sexual wellness routine. Ah, wouldn't that be a luxury if I just had all my time? I'm just trying to help other people have really great sexual wellness routines. But I think of it a little bit more holistically of like, making time for my partner, making time where I'm not focused on work, where we're actually having like human connection and intimacy. You know, as I said, like there's a lot of different aspects of sex and sexuality and sexual health that I've discovered about myself through building this business, which has been really cool. Do you have, I mean, I was about to say, do you have any products you use, but you probably (laughs) mostly use sustain. Just like have a few things. Like, (laughs) no, I mean, I use, yeah, condoms, lube, wipes, period products, not for sex. Yeah, I use all of our products. Those are my go-tos. So you recently partnered with Keech Comb, CEO of Comb Inc., and the owner of the Vagisil brand. Yes. So on your blog, you announced your excitement for the partnership and opportunity to partner with a similar family-owned company. So can you tell me a little bit about this merge? This was such a milestone for the business. For me personally, we spent a long time working on the deal and and defining the partnership. And, you know, I think today we've talked a lot about sort of like the generations that have come before us and what the narrative has been around sort of female sexuality and sexual health. And what I didn't know at the time was sort of the story behind Vagisil. Vagisil came of age in the 1970s, which in some ways is you think like, oh, sexual revolution. But at the same time, it was white men controlling the government, white men controlling the media. That's super different from today, but even more conservative on that front. And so Vagisil has this incredible story and history around getting their brand name approved, being able to advertise on television. I mean, all of the issues that Sustain is dealing with today around Facebook advertising and partnerships and funding. I mean, it's a new version of the same story. And so I spent a lot of time learning about the history behind the business and behind the brand and getting to know Keech. And it was like, this is really crazy. I wouldn't have expected that from Vagisil. I wouldn't have even thought to like look into 
how they built that business and why. And it was a business about solving women's intimate health issues. And we brand it differently, but it's very similar. And so we decided to partner, and they obviously decided to support us a lot, both financially and just strategically, because we're sort of trying to do similar things. You know, different categories, different audiences maybe, but the thing about Comb, which is the company that owns Vagisil and, and Keech's family businesses, they really invested in us because of what we're doing and because of who we are and how vocal we are and how we take this activist approach to building a business, not because they saw an opportunity to like take some of what we were doing, like our products, and do it their way. And you hear stories about companies being partially acquired or acquired, and you think about well, it sounds great, but what does it look like behind the scenes? Like, is this really good? And I didn't know. We talked a lot sort of exhaustively about the partnership and what it was going to look like and what it meant and X, Y, and Z. But you never know until you jump into bed together and see what happens. You know, it's been a good amount of time since we formalized the deal, and I've been continuously surprised by how supportive they've been and how they wanted to amplify our voice versus sort of like toning it down. And I think that is because we share similar values. That's just so cool. I, I think that's really cool. <laughs> I hope. No. No, it I, is. It is. It's really. I mean, wh- they're such pioneers. And you would never have known that story. And it's really cool. And it's kind of like, not like war stories, but it's like, shared experiences between businesses. And as I said, like, I was treated like a drug dealer. And to go from that almost five years ago to having a big, you know, multinational corporation say, hey, we think there's some value here. (laughs) I mean, it's mind blowing. (laughs) I'm like, it's mind blowing. And it's it's so exciting. And it's it's a testament to the business, the brand, the team, our customers, our community. It's a very exciting sort of emotional time, and and I'm really excited about what's to come through partnering with them. I'm so excited to watch whatever happens. So we actually collected some community questions. Amazing. So we'll kind of do this like a little like rapid fire. Some of them we might have touched on, but let's just jump into this. Should I be worried about toxic shock? How do I best avoid Great question. Toxic shock syndrome can happen with tampons. It can happen way, 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 way less frequently. I think there's only been like two cases with a menstrual cup. But do your homework. There's a lot of great resources in terms of toxic shock syndrome. Toxic shock syndrome in the past was sort of common because of some of the ingredients being used in the products. And toxic shock It's not always that it needs to be inside you. You hear these stories like, oh, she must have left it in for days and that's how she got it. Toxic shock is a bacteria issue where your body sort of reacts to the product. And so many, many, many years ago, there were products on the market with certain types of ingredients that caused this growth of bacteria in terms of your reaction, which caused toxic shock syndrome. So I think it's it's a scary thing, and we all have seen sort of the visuals associated with it. But again, I think do your homework and your research on TSS, how to avoid it. Change your tampons regularly based on the instructions in the box. And again, I think an important piece of it, too, is just also know what's going inside your body. Right, and listen to your body. Next question is, 
What's the most eco-friendly way to dispose of feminine products? So that's a good question. I'll do a couple like tips and tricks that people might not know. So our applicator, for example, is bioplastic and recyclable. Most people don't know that they're, and not all tampon applicators are recyclable, but many are. So the biggest waste from your tampon is the applicator. We've all seen those photos of them piling up and it's not a pretty picture. You can actually rinse it out and recycle it. A lot of people don't know that. And then again, the most sustainable option, other than free bleeding, which I still have not done myself, is to use a period cup. Yeah. No waste. I know we were touching on scent and fragrance earlier, but are scented products safe for you at all? What jumped to my head was like a scented applicator. Scented products are tricky. For our example, we have scented body wash, which uses organic ingredients that are naturally derived we have the same thing with our body oil. We have scents in our post-play wipes. There's some lavender. So no, scents aren't just don't have scents. I actually don't love scented things in general, so I'm like very minimal on my scents. I think one thing that really bothers me is scented tampons because I think the genesis of them was this idea that, oh, you have your period and your vagina smells, and so why wouldn't you use a scented tampon? And I think if you go look, a lot of those boxes have that big fat fragrance word slapped on it. So again, scents aren't universally bad. Make sure that if you are using a scented product, you can at least see what is in the scent and the ingredients that are causing the scented fragrance so that you can then decide are these ingredients things that I want to be using in my vagina. What is something you want women and teens to know about taking ownership of their sexual health? When it's 2 a.m. and you met some guy and you're at your apartment or you're at their apartment or you're on somebody else's couch or you're in a bathroom somewhere and you're about to have sex and you have that thought running through your head, should I use a condom? Should I even bring up using a condom? And does he even have a condom? Don't even get yourself in that situation. Carry condoms and always insist on using them. It's mind-blowing how uncomfortable we still are as a group insisting on using condoms. It's like we've decided that it's cool to not use them. We've been sort of told that, A, it's not my responsibility, and B, I'm going to be that cool girl who doesn't use condoms. But I just think it's actually, like, cooler to be responsible and have respect for your body. And I think that's ultimately more important. Where can we find and connect with you? Sustainnatural.com or at Sustain or at Miss Meeks. I'm very responsive. Get at me. <laughs> Thank you so Only much. if you're using condoms. <laughs> you can still talk to me. I'll make sure that you do by the time we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting Thanks with me. Thanks for having it's me. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe and of course, share with your friends. Thank you for listening. <laughs>